Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've, we've got a great show for you this evening. As always, um, always excited this time of year because we've uh, always got the panels on here to have a great discussion on Coach's Corner. And then a little bit later on, I have my special guest. And tonight I'm uh, doubly excited because I've got not only a great panel, and I'm going to introduce them here in just a moment, um, but I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, a PGA and Champions Tour professional, uh, Chip Beck, is going to be joining me, and he's also the uh, ambassador for Perfect Motion. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that and a little bit about his career as well. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the show, but I'm really glad uh, that you guys could tune in tonight. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the panel, and then we're going to bring them on, and we're going to start, start tonight's discussion here on Coach's Corner. All right, first up is Alicia Larson. She is a Class A LBJ Teach professional and founder and president of Gratitude Golf, LLC. She's also an author of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf, and coaches every golfer from the beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. Uh, also rounding up the panel is Tim Kramer, a visionary peak performance mind coach and president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind coaching techniques, and he's also a contributing editor uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. Also uh, on the panel tonight is a good friend, uh, Clint Wright. He is a 30-year member of the PGA, partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, and among one of the best covering the short game today, and a favorite panelist here on Coach's Corner. So, uh, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner panel. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, I appreciate appreciate it. All right, so um, I gave you a little bit of a heads up. We're going to talk tonight... Uh, about how to stay focused during the round. This is uh, something that a lot of amateurs struggle with. You know, they work very diligently on their game. Uh, you know, many sports, uh, many other sports rather, require athletes to make split-second decisions. Golf is a little bit more slow-paced game that requires careful planning and focus before making every shot. So you don't get to, you know, all of a sudden make a snap decision. You get a little more time to think about things. Uh, fundamentals are vitally important in golf, but so too is being mentally strong enough to block out distractions while you're playing. We're going to talk about that and more. So I'm going to start, uh, you know, Clint, with you, I think. Okay. And uh, one, of the, one of the points that I want to begin with is how do we handle each hole? You know, we begin every uh, hole as though it's the first hole in every round. So, um, you know, when we get up to the first tee, of course, that's the first hole of the, the round, and you know, we, we sort of approach things a little bit differently in that. But 
we've got to be able to handle each hole um, in, in a certain way as well to be successful. So give me your thoughts here. Um, you know, how do we start the round off uh, when we get to that first tee? And then what do we do every hole after that to help ensure success? Well, Ted, I mean, you know, different golf courses lend themselves to different approaches off the first tee. But with the players I work with, I always encourage them, you know, if you're a little nervous on the first tee, if you've got a group of people there, you know, take out your favorite club, maybe a three-wood or a five-wood, and be successful with that first shot. You want to set the tone um, for the round right there and put something down the fairway in play and uh, versus just grabbing out the driver and, and trying to impress everybody about how far you hit it off the first tee. Um, beyond that, I think each hole presents itself with a, a strategy on, on how to, to make your next shot easier. Um, some of us can drive it well, and some holes you may want to lay up short depending on the dog leg or obstructions in front of you. But the, the main approach, I think, is for people to understand is that, from my viewpoint, when you putt out on the first hole, then the only purpose of the next shot you're going to hit is to put the ball back in play. Because, you know, you're not in play at that point technically. You want to put the ball back in play, put it back in play with the best chance you've got of making your next shot the easiest you can. And those those are the strategies that I look to pretty much with every shot I'm hitting. How am I going to make my next shot easier? Um, And as the round goes, you kind of find, well, you're on the day, so you might take a little bit bigger risk, or you're not swinging quite so well. You might want to play a little more conservative. So it my objective is to try to start off the positive round uh, to get the, the emotions going in the right direction. So that first tee is my favorite club. Let's put it in a fairway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, some great points. Alicia, I think I, I want to ask you from a, a little bit different perspective, and that is, you know, many amateurs focus on tee to green, whereas if you talk to most touring professionals, they're sort of flipping it a little bit. They're thinking from the green backwards. They're thinking about, I want to get myself in a position to be able to get into that green um, with the club, my, you know, my favorite club. It might be a wedge. It might be uh, you know, a, a nine iron, whatever that case may be. They want to get to that yardage. So they're kind of looking from the green back. What are some of the advantages, do you think, of doing that and putting it in context to what we're talking about here with each hole? Should the players be... Uh, and I'm referring to amateurs now, should be they thinking, you know, where do I want to be? How do I want to approach this hole and sort of working backwards as opposed to just getting on the tee box and hitting it wherever? Yeah, I think that's a, a really valid question. And, and it's it's one that there are times when I have been on the golf course doing playing lessons with students and and we'll get to a certain point in the in the fairway and further down, like if they've, you know, they're three-fourths away down the fairway, and I'll, I'll just say, I want you to just turn around and look back that way and see how open that whole thing was. Like, all of it is, it was wide open, and, you know, they were maybe a little angst about, you know, where they were going to go off the tee box and, you know, how, well, I don't know, it's, you know, there's trees over there, and they just, they, they start focusing on where they don't want to go. But I make them look back and say, you know, you know in theory, this is really, this is pretty, you got a lot of room here. So it gave them a nice perspective when you got up further. I think that I, I, I really like the idea of taking a club that you like best because I think the industry says, you know, with the, with the masses now, they always say you've got to, okay, you're on the tee box, you got to hit your driver. 
and I just mentioned that to some some uh, woman the other day, and she's like, wow, you mean I can, I mean, I hit my hybrid really good, so I could actually, you know, hit my hybrid off the tee box and not my driver on every hole, and I'm like, of course you can. So, you know, it gives them that that perspective looking back when they're in there, you know, and then when you get to that point in the, in the hole, it's like, if you're at the most important area when you, you know, if the, if the numbers are approximately 60 some percent of your game is from a hundred yards and in, you know, where do you feel the most comfortable? Like, so you can break up a hole and, and you say, okay, I want to be, you know, the 60 yards out because I'm more comfortable with a 60 yard shot versus, you know, a 90 or a 30. So sometimes I'll have them, you know, try to figure out like where they want to, what, what yardage you want to be at when you get up there. So it just, it's, that's a strategy that you kind of do in a playing lesson. And I do more in a playing lesson than I, than, so that they're kind of thinking that when they go out and play competitively. But um, those are some of the things that I've actually done with my students. And I think it's very advantageous as well because it gets them thinking more of the shots that they have to hit into the green that are, are, you know, pretty critical and important when it comes to scoring. Yeah, those are some great points as well. And I think, you know, from a, a professional's perspective, I mean, they're looking at it, they, they're obviously wanting to, to go low. I mean, there's so much competition on tour nowadays. You know, they're having to shoot uh, incredibly low scores just to be competitive. So they're thinking more about strategy, and it's not just about getting up there and belting it off the first tee or, or any hole for that matter and hitting it as far as possible it's all about putting it in position to give them that best opportunity to get to the green, uh, whether it be in two or in some cases it might even be three. Um, they're trying to yeah. increase their, their accuracy and so forth. So there's a lot of it. Tim, I'm going to come to you on this one. and I'm going to approach it a little bit differently. As I, I said in the beginning, uh, you know, we want to, uh, every hole, we want to treat it as though it's the first hole in the round. Uh, it's very easy on that first hole, but to try and achieve this sort of free feeling on subsequent holes sometimes isn't so uh, obvious or, or, or attainable. Um, it's common for many golfers to struggle with a tee shot on a hole, particularly after posting a poor score, uh, score excuse me, on the previous hole. So having a short memory uh, sometimes can be good, putting bad holes, in other words, out of your mind as soon as you step off the green. So, you know, kind of keeping with this theme of, of how to handle, uh, you know, from hole to hole, the mental game now suddenly comes in because, as we know, as we start to navigate, you know, hole to hole, we're going to have some bad holes, um, and that is going to affect the next shot. Maybe put things in a little bit more perspective on what we can do as we're going around, how we can sort of put those bad shots out, what are things that we can be thinking, or where should we be focusing? Yeah, um, it's a great question, and it's a great issue. The one thing that I would say is that uh, the differentiation that I make with my students is really the difference between the mental and the emotional sides of the game. We also have the physical, which of course fits in, but those three components to me are the essential uh, components of every shot. I find, and, and I loved what uh, Clint said in terms of setting the tone. To me, what really is, I think, the most important thing uh, to anybody's success is that we set the tone before a shot for the success that we want to see. And I, I think far too, far too many times with the amateur golfer, we are carrying around a lot of bad memories, bad shots inside of our head uh, from the past. And what we do is we immediately go to, well, um, you know, this could or probably will happen again in the future, which I guess brings me to my point. And what I really coach is that 
we have this shot right now that we need to take care of, and that's it. Um, I love helping to instill in them that when we just take care of this shot, we add them up at the end, that's the best shot we have at success. Because as soon as we start down the stories of the what ifs and how this affects the rest of the round, given, given what you said, yeah, we're, we're going to have some crazy shots out there. We're going to have some crazy holes. But to me, the better job we do of setting the tone in advance of a shot. Uh, so in a sense, what we're really doing is we're, we're getting strong and stable, uh, both from a focus standpoint and an emotional standpoint, before a shot, uh, and of course swing and whatever we, we decide to do with that, but we give ourselves the best opportunity to succeed by getting um, uh, really the game out in front of a shot so that, that the shot itself really becomes um, the, out, the outcome of where we've got the mind at in advance. And uh, if we... If we if we don't do a good job of that, we're generally just you know it's like the dog uh, trying to chase its tail, and it never works for very long. Right, well said. You know, I always I always equate the amateur golfer and the professional, uh, you know, simulating going to the airport. Um, you know, the professional will check their baggage at the check-in. The amateur will pull it along behind them and go on the plane. And the reason why I say that is that's what you see most amateurs do is they bring their bags with them. They're bringing all the baggage from past holes, past rounds. Professionals don't do that. Once that hole is over, once that shot is over, they move on. And it's very, very difficult for some reason for a lot of amateurs to be able to differentiate that. So I always imagine, you know, when I'm talking with my students, I always say to them, imagine yourself going to the airport and you've got two or three pieces of luggage. You might have a carry-on, that's okay, but what are you going to do with the other two or three bags? You're going to check them in. You don't want to be lugging them in. You don't want to be carrying them on the plane and having to jostle and juggle around. You want to check them in. Well, I, I sort of use that analogy in, in a way of explaining to people that you don't want to be bringing your baggage through every hole because you're just not going to be able to be successful. Um, Alicia, I want to go on to the next question, and, and that is a little bit of really what Tim was talking about, and that is removing distractions. Uh, you know, is it really that simple? Blocking out, uh, you know, distractions when you step up to make your shot, you know, thinking of nothing but the ball and how you're going to hit it um, sounds easier than what it really is. Um, maybe walk us through, you know, with an example of one of your students. When you see that they're doing just what I said, they're struggling, they're thinking about things in the past, what are some things that you try to do to help your students get past and out of that mindset and stay focused on the task at hand. Uh, I I do something that's somewhat symbolic, and there's a couple things that come to mind. So um, I I have a, a little. Haven't you seen one of those little portable light switches that you can buy at any hardware store? And I make them like I make them stand behind like they're on their like they're choosing their club and they're going to get ready for that pre-shot routine, and they have to flip the light switch on and you'll visibly see the light come on, and that's when they go into their bubble. And they go through their routine, nothing, you know, they just go, they're, they're like nothing's going to distract them now. So they, they know that because the light switch is on. 
and then they'll do their routine and they'll come back and they'll switch the light off and then they can talk to me. So we, we do that quite a bit to just kind of get them, okay, here's, here's, it's your time. My, my, my coach and when I was playing competitively said, once you put your hand on that club, that's when you go into your state. And I think they think golfers, I know my students do, they think it's a lot longer than it really is. So they, Mm -hmm. they have this impression that, they might be holding people up and, you know, they, they go through They And I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't like people to stand back and take, you know, three or three or four, you know, several practice swings. So I, they, they usually take one, maybe two. Um, and then they'll just go into their, their, you know, whole routine and, and swing and hit the ball, but they, they just know when it's game on and then they know when it's game off. So they, that's one of the things that I, that I've worked with them a lot on. And it's just more symbolic to just, I've had kids do like when you want to go in that bubble, they just they might they just pretend there's a bubble and they'll they'll make a motion or something and anything like that to just symbolic. Nobody knows what they're doing, but they know what they're doing to kind of just go inside, get your stuff done, and and then I'll time it so that I'll say that only took like 30 seconds. You know, it wasn't that long, and they're like, really, it felt like a minute. It felt just so long, and they think that it's longer, and they don't want to hold people up, and they think they can't go through all this. You know, and they don't know, like, they just go behind the ball because they see everybody else doing it. And that's, they think they're supposed to do that. So, I, you know, there's got to be a purpose behind that, too. So, um, those are, that's one of the things that students is just be very intentional about, like, when you cross the line, you can take in all the data that you need. And then when you cross that line to, you know, go into the more of the, okay, I'm going to swing at this golf ball, it's like, stop thinking analytically and just swing then. But once you, I, I can put a piece of tape down on the, on the, you know, the, the turf or put a aiming stick, aiming stick on the ground. And then once they go across that, then they're done thinking and they just got to get in there and look at the target a few times and then just go. So just different things like that to get them, you know, staying on track for the few seconds that they have to. Right. Well said. Um, Clint, there's a lot of distractions. Um, Some are natural, you know, it could be anything from the birds chirping to, you know, uh, fellow competitors, you know, driving their cart uh, on, on a, an adjacent hole. Um, but there comes a point in time when, when we have to get focused. Um, my question to you is along this lines, do you think that a lot of the amateurs maybe think too much and over um, take a very simple approach to each shot and, and overcomplicate it because they're thinking too much and allowing these distractions to come in instead of focusing on the, the tasks at hand. What are your thoughts? Well, that, that's a pretty uh, pretty easy answer. Well, yes, we all overthink it a lot of times, <laughs> um, not just the amateurs. But I think more than overthinking, I think that they put an emphasis on the wrong results that they're looking for. What's going to give them the results they want? And Many people, you talk to them about this, oh, yeah, I understand that, but they don't have the process. They haven't practiced it enough to to trust it. And what I'm talking about there is what Lisa was talking about, their their pre-shot routine or or whatever you might want to call it, you know, get it in the bubble, the think box or whatever. They don't ever have that. The only thing they have is what they think, well, i got to move my club here, i got to put my hand there. That's the technical things that they have that they go out on the practice range and they work on it to a fault. But you never see them learning how 
to go through the process of getting prepared to make contact with the ball. You know, I mm-hmm. see it a lot in, when we work with short game, people want to work on their putting, but they never really work on how to hit a putt or how am I going to hit this particular one. Yeah, they have all the technical mechanical things, but they don't have the process ahead of how am I going to use what I have. You know, I'm a firm believer once you have a good golf swing, it's always available to you. The question is, is it available right now, and how do I get to it? And what most good amateurs and professionals have is they have that singular process or path to get to their best swing right now. The amateurs out there that struggle with this, they never develop a process that they can go to. So us as instructors talking about pre-shot routines and stuff, they don't have it. And therefore, I think Mm -hmm. it's incumbent upon us to give them that pre-shot routine. It could be, like Lisa was saying, it could be anything. But they have to zero in on what gets them calmed down. Part of it is their breathing. Get relaxed over the ball. And and then, then let your swing appear. Let it go. And that's the one thing that I would recommend for distraction wise is that you have the purpose of you getting up to your golf ball has to begin with the, the purpose I have to achieve is a good setup, good ready position. Am I ready to swing? And then the golf swing takes two seconds. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's very little we can control in that time frame, as we well know. We set it in motion and try to deliver. So I would encourage people to try to eliminate the distractions within that 10 seconds or so you might be getting ready to hit it, is be zeroed in on your process and do it the same way every time. You know, we've we've heard it all the time, you know, like the the professionals hit their putts, you know, within 14 seconds every time they have that routine. So they they get into the flow, and whenever that routine's working, they play well. And when that routine breaks down is when you see the nervousness and the emotions come into play when they're a little more under pressure, that process breaks down. And that's the distraction. The distraction is winning the U.S. Open. And amateur play on daily is, you know, the distraction of of winning the dollar Nassau. Uh, So as long as you can get your process down and rehearse it and practice it just like you practice your swing, then that's the method we use to, to eliminate the distractions while you're playing. Well said. Um, Tim, are there some things in, a, in addition to what both Alicia and Clint have just described from your perspective? Are there things that we can be practicing to, to get into that mental zone or, or however we want to phrase it? You know, again, it, it just seems, you know, when you, when you watch some of the best players in the world, um, some obviously more than others, you know, you look at Tiger and you look at Jack and, and others, they just sort of it, it, it's you know just as it was described it's like a switch goes off and they get into that that mindset if you will once that execution of that shot has happened it's like that switch then comes back on and you know it's almost like they disappeared for a few seconds and then they they you know morphed back into the game what do we do to to accomplish that what can amateurs do specifically to help get into that zone um and, and better prepare when they're getting into that shot. Yeah. <clears throat> to me, the most important factor with that 
is really managing the emotions. Um, we know that the, the way the brain works, even that um, so many times I think that we think that the mind game is separate from the physical game. And what we fail to understand is that the body cannot move at all without signals that it receives from the brain. Now, I would dare say that those signals either come from a calm set of emotions or a nervous set of emotions. The calm ones obviously allow the body to flow well. The nervous ones allow the body or create a body that begins to lock up. I think that most amateurs, uh, and actually arguably many professionals, are not paying enough attention to their emotional state of mind. And what happens mm -hmm. is that in the process, it's almost like trying to focus when you're already off in the weeds emotionally is next to impossible to do. So getting back to what I think um, we've talked about is that setting the tone early, uh, in many cases to me, before you get out of the car in the parking lot. I'm going to play well today. I'm going to have fun today. Um, you're almost like setting the tone for the day, and it's it's a mindset that you need to come back to time and time and time again. I think that most amateurs are highly distracted in terms of they're just so busy uh, reacting to each and every shot. If I if I hit the ball well, I'm happy. If I didn't hit it well, I'm I'm upset, and they've got mm -hmm. such a yo-yo approach going to their whole games, and again, the physical is responding to the mental and emotional, that that there's no stability in that. I, I, I would dare say, and then, of course, the, the, the mindless chatter that goes on in the golf course, it's fun. Um, it's just not always conducive to really staying focused in good golf. So I, I think that the intention to have um, a, a strong level, a high level of focus is critical. I think that the um, the idea of really um, having a strong intention to remain in a good emotional space, a good, uh, great attitude and mood, no matter what the course is throwing at you on any given day is important. And I think that uh, having a good set of fundamentals mechanically, physically, is also very important. So it's really a blending of all three of those. To me, the most important thing they can do is decide that they're, they're, they're just going to really be present on any given day to what they know they have to do, kind of what, the, what you know, both, both Alicia and Clint alluded to. And uh, you've you got to want to play well. You, you just can't let things haphazardly slip around. You can, but you're never going to play good golf. Yeah, and, and, and that's what we see so often um, – you know, is is the emotions, and that's an area that a lot of amateurs, I think, um, guys, sort of fall short. Uh, and certainly, we've seen some professionals over the years as well um, that have, you know, that are going through the paces, and then all of a sudden, you know, the wheels fall off the bus um, during their round, and you know, suddenly you can see the emotions coming in. Um, it's not that they suddenly forgot how to to hit the ball, uh, or how to you know how to putt, or how to you know go through their routines. Um, but something has just taken them out of that routine and they're struggling to get back in. So uh, a lot of factors there, very interesting uh, points, guys. And, and this comes to, Clint, I know we, we've already, you've already sort of alluded to this, uh, but there's two areas, and I'm going to let you handle the first part, and then Alicia, I'm going to let you handle the second part of it. Um, um, what should you consider 
when developing a pre-shot routine, uh, Clint, and then Alicia, I'm going to let you jump in uh, when he's done. Um, and what about a post-shot routine? What about after we've hit the shot? What should we be doing then? Uh, Clint, you start off. Okay. Well, I, I think that if you look at what I try to do anyway with the students, I want them, as we've talked about, bring their emotional level down the best they can. Back off the tension. Relax. Take your, take your time. Think about what you're doing. Breathe. You know, I've been uh, doing a little research, as, as most everybody else has over the years, about, you know, the conscious breathing. You know, be in the present mm -hmm. moment and, and breathe. It, you know, it's automatic, but, but use that as your focal point. Take a few deep breaths. Relax your body. Take the tension out. Then it, it really is an individual thing about from the time they can really get relaxed and get focused on getting in their routine, what that routine is is an extremely individual process. You know, some people like to take two practice swings. Some like to take one. You know, um, maybe none. They get up, they line up, and that step just before they, they make a motion, taking the club back, is an extremely important part of that process. You know, I try to get people to take a deep breath. Just, you know, relax and then go about making your swing. So as far as a definite thing I would do is that I would encourage a person to try several different things to see how it connects to where they can keep that emotional level down uh, in, in order to make a good fluid motion. We do know that a relaxed muscle moves much easier than a tense one. So if we want to make a nice fluid, uh, you know, long golf swing is creating speed, we need to keep the muscles relaxed, not, not tight. So I encourage them to find that path that gets them over the ball with not a lot of grip pressure, not a lot of tension. You know, personally, the last thing I do before I take the club because I, I take my hands off the club because that way I know I've focused on a relaxed grip pressure. That's what I do. And I encourage people to try that because it does mm -hmm. bring down the tension level, particularly in the upper upper arm and shoulders. And we all know that people get over the ball and get all tightened up and can't move. So one of the things you want to try to get them to achieve, but the process of achievement, I think, is very individual. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, each routine uh, is going to be unique. Everybody's different. Um, you know, what one person might have in their pre-shot routine may not necessarily, it may look similar, but it may not be exactly like somebody else. So you have to find what works for you. Right. And, and that's something that, you're, that your professional can, can help uh, you accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, on the lesson T, you can put something together. And, and, but the idea is once you get one that you're comfortable with, you've got to stick with it. And you can't alter it and you can't adjust it. Um, certainly while you're at the golf course. If, you, if you're not comfortable with it, if it's not working for you, then you can work on that when you get back on the practice tee. But don't do it, that's obviously, right. during the round. Uh, 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 Alicia, I want to come to you. Post-round routine, you know, that's one we don't hear them talking about very much is post-round. So, um, or sorry, post-shot, my, my apologies, post-shot uh, routine. So we, we've, mm -hmm. we've gotten ourselves in that pre-shot, we've executed the shot, and it's happened. Now what do we do? What's our thought process? What? I, I think that there's a lot of people that want, want, I'm just speaking on my behalf and I might not be for, for the other gentleman, but um, when I ask people if they have a post shot of any kind, like, what do you do afterwards? They're like, what? Like, 
they're not aware of that that, that really even exists. You know, they're like, oh, I just, you know, they're so ready to emotionalize every golf shot, and they, you know, like you say, good or bad. But either way, it's typically even when it's good, they're like, well, that didn't feel very good, and it's like a good miss, and they're like, you know, four feet from the pin, and they're still going to find something wrong with it. So they're so they're so busy judging themselves, and I always say they're we're also quick to judge. You know, the golfers are quick to judge and slow to praise. And and so I tell them I'm like look when you know it's a distraction like I'm I'm gonna take my granddaughter and say you know when we're going to the grocery store and she wants to get all this stuff on the way on the checkout and I'm just I distract her mm-hmm. and 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 she's just like okay okay grandma that's fine and so I I take my kids and or my students and I'm like well, let's let's distract you from emotionalizing it and just like I want you to step back and I want you to swing like maybe one one time and if you need to too but just say, okay, what did I need to feel there? Just like have some self-talk, have some conversation with yourself and say, okay, yeah, that was, that was the one. That was what I needed to feel. Okay, let's, that, that's, okay, I'm ready to move on. Instead of, and it's, and it's stopping the whole process. If it wasn't a shot that they had desired to, to hit, it wasn't desirable, then they just stopping them from emotionalizing and then regrouping and resetting and then starting from a good place instead of having that, the last shot and the bad shot in their mind be the, you know, still kind of toxic in their system by the time they get up to the next one and they're still stewing over it. So I, I have them, you know, swing and feel what they wanted to feel, maybe even visualize what they wanted to see. And and they're like, okay, okay, that's what I wanted to do. That's okay. Let's go. So I just let them have a conversation with themselves, feel a swing, see the swing, see the shot and, and then just calmly go back and put their club in their bag and, and just positively move on and get on the get on the next get on to the next shot because that that one's you know over but let's let's leave it with a positive and and move on to the because the next shot's the most important one you got. That's right. Um, you, you can't change what's already happened, and you can't mm-hmm. uh, really do anything about the shot that hasn't happened yet. There's only the now. So you're exactly right. Um, Tim, ideally we we want to clear our mind after hitting each shot and and. Um, you know, if we're walking, we want to enjoy the walk to the ball. Um, you know, it could be easy to sometimes for players to obsess over the ball's lie, um, how they're going to approach the shot and what you need to score. They're focusing on that. Uh, thinking of a lot of these factors is, is useless until you're standing over the ball. Um, so we need to find a way, um, you know, post-shot, if you will, to relax your mind after each shot. Um, in your opinion, what are some good techniques to do that? Because that's, that's an area, I mean, you know, it, it's one thing to develop a good pre-shot routine to, and you, you get up over the ball and now you've hit the ball. Um, but afterwards, you know, there's a lot of other thoughts, that, as Alicia just alluded to, start creeping in in that. What are, in your opinion, what are some things that you've found effective with many of your students? Because you've worked not just with beginners, but you've worked with some higher caliber players as well, um, tour players and that. What has been some of your... Um, approaches to helping them to, to relax the mind. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great question. And I, I want to go back to just a couple things uh, um, in the uh, in the pre-shot. Um, that the one thing that I would say is that <clears throat> we have, need to have a little bit of a. Um, uh, I love the the timing being kind of similar and whatever. It's been my experience, though, that, that we really kind of need to have subtly different pre-shot from the standpoint of, say, I feel really confident with my driver, but when it comes to my putting, I feel really shaky. Well, 
already we've got a couple different sets of emotions that we need to learn to deal with in different ways. So it's not a rubber stamp, one size fits all kind of true shot routine. I really believe that we need to find different ways of adjusting the routine um, to kind of massage it uh, toward our benefit. Now, um, what I coach is is probably a little bit unique in that in the pre-shot routine, I really want those three things that I talked about. I want the mental, which is really strategy, uh, very different from the other one, which is emotional, which is feelings and mood and attitude, and then, of course, physical. Now, um, what I use the post-shot routine for is the opportunity to go back, uh, basically, if they hit a good shot. What I tell my students what we work on is they did a lot of good things. Let's just not really get analytical about this at all. Let's enjoy the day, whatever. And they don't have a problem doing that because they just hit a good shot and they're in a pretty good mood. When the shot doesn't go their way, though, what I like to have them do is to actually look back and say, okay, where did this break down? Did I make a good decision? Did I, did I have a good mental plan? Uh, was my strategy good, or was it a bonehead play? Um, my swing was, did, did I accomplish in my swing what I what I wanted to do in the pre-shot routine? Did I have a good sense in my pre-shot routine of what I wanted the swing to do without, of course, getting technical, but sometimes we have players who are very technical and we need to, we need to work with them too. And then, and then third of all, was I in a good emotional state of mind? And, and um, uh, if I was great and if I wasn't, um, then is that where the breakdown took place? So, so it's really more of a, of, a, of a way of assessing if there was a breakdown, where the breakdown took place. Now, just very quickly, um, you, can, you can imagine where most amateurs go to immediately when they hit a bad shot. And that's, yeah, my swing. It, it was my swing. And they never realized how, how nervous they were or the decision that they made. And all of which led to really the tension in the body that produced the bad swing. Obviously, every bad swing is a result of mechanics and physical that breaks down. But the important point, I think, is why did it break down? If we've practiced a certain move on the range, for you know, days or months or years or whatever, then the swing really isn't changing that much as long as the, the, the thoughts and the emotions and the beliefs are kind of in the same place. So that's how I like to have students use the post-shot routine is to be very objective um, and, and very kind to themselves, certainly, but to say, okay, if it broke down, why did it break down? And then to make the yeah, adjustments think- moving forward. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, obviously in a, in a practice round, I mean, you, you can't do this in, in a regular round because, you know, your fellow competitors are, are going to turf you off the course for slow play. But um, definitely during a practice round, um, you know, with your, with your um, professional or coach, uh, it, this is where you want to work on a lot of these things. Um, Alicia, I'm going to come to you for this question, uh, and I'm going to ask you uh, only on this question, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with our, with our final one. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook um, in, in order to keep focused during their round is they forget to focus on uh, nutrition and hydration during their round, uh, actually pre-round, during, and, and even after the round. 
And this is a critical area because, you know, when you're playing 18 holes, you're out there for several hours, depending on where you are. It could be pretty steamy. It could be pretty hot. Um, these factors, uh, you know, I remember years ago when, when Jack Nicholas, uh, you know, did his video series, you know, Golf My Way, he had uh, two videos. And, you know, he talked about keeping something in the golf bag, uh, you know, a snack of some sort because he wanted to make sure he was keeping his energies. Touch on nutrition and hydration, the importance of that, and what are some good practices in, in your mind that you try to encourage your students to do um, before they get to the golf course, what they should be maybe looking at eating. And again, obviously, everybody's diets and things have to be uh, you know, factored in. But just generally, what's the, the overall message that you want to deliver to them? And then during the round, what about things like hydration and, and what should they be doing? We obviously want them to have fun out there. Um, but hitting, you know, uh, things like the beer cart and whatnot several times throughout your round may not be the best uh, thing for you to do if you want to get out there and improve your game. So touch on hydration and nutrition a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a kind of a, I don't know, a lost idea that I think, especially when I bring it up to students, a lot of them don't even think about that. They're like, wow, I didn't realize that, that that's, I need to be prepared that much you know, to, to be ready for a round. And and I'll ask them, I'll say, do, if, if I if I hear, like, if I hear the story and they, they tell me, like, they're describing a specific round they had and they might say that, you know, on number 12 or 13 or, you know, I might have had, you know, I stopped and I got something to eat and I thought I was good. And then I might be like, you know, 12 or 13, I, 14, 15, I started just feeling really just like like sluggish and stuff. And I when I was, you know, coaching high school kids, I'd, I I would ask, you know, parents would bring things to drink. This would be before COVID, obviously, but we they bring food and drinks and stuff. And I would ask to bring the Gatorade that doesn't have the sugar in it, um, and then no candy bars or anything like that. So they had good food to eat. Um, uh, I know the power bars and things like that. I've, I've given those to my high school kids uh, to to not have that sugar high and the sugar lows during the round. And I think that, I just don't think they think about eating. Like they, maybe it's too hot, but you got to have something to drink then. But just those easy things, a lot of, I tell them the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, if you like those and some, some, you know, nuts of some sort and just kind of munch now and again and drink, keep drinking as, you know, now and again to make sure that you're hydration and drink the day before and that sort of thing too. Um, so I think that it's kind of, it's an overlooked topic, and um, I also tell the kids when I was like when I was a, a head golf professional at a club and with my members, if it's really hot days, and then the kids during the high school round, I had a, a cooler and we had towels in there that they made sure that get you get your towel, get an extra towel in your bag, and you know get that wet with cold water and put that on your neck and you know make sure you stay cool that way and you know you know, dab your face every now and again and that sort of thing. And now the kids have those carts with the, the umbrellas on them, so that's nice so they can stay under under the umbrellas to stay out of the heat too. But um, I've, I've really been uh, pretty fussy about what my kids could eat when they're on the golf course. Um, and I have actually a, a strength and conditioning um, gentleman that works with all my, with most the majority of my kids, and he is also a nutritionist, so he's helping them to make sure they're – prepared well enough and have the right things in their bag and you know I'm just trying to raise their awareness of that because I don't think people think about that too awfully much and how it, how it can affect your thought processes and your brain fog and your clarity and all that stuff so 
pretty important topic. Yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely an area that a, a lot of amateurs, um, who knows, maybe even some professionals uh, have overlooked over the years. You know, yeah. you, you raised a, a great issue. You know, you, you see a lot of people, you know, once they get around the tur- uh, turn, you know, they've gotten to, you know, maybe hole 13, 14, and all of a sudden they're, they're a little lethargic. They don't have a lot of energy left, and they're struggling right. to finish out those last four or five holes. And, you know, when you take a look at what their routine is, um, you know, with all, you know, the information out there available now on, on keeping yourself hydrated, um, you know, and I certainly, don't get me wrong, and for anybody out that's listening out there that, you know, thinks I'm trying to take away their fun, uh, you know, we want you to have a good time. Um, but, you know, drinking two or three beers or, or whatever it is out there and, and, you know, having a chili dog or something like that, is not going to serve you well, um, you know. If you want to be, you know, if you want to get better, if you're just going out there to have a good time and you don't care about your score and the game doesn't matter, right. hey, have at it. Um, uh, yeah. You know, that's something you a discussion between you and your doctor. You can have at some point later on down the road. But you know, if you want to play your best, you've got to be particularly. You've got to be hydrated, especially if you're playing down, uh, you know, in the middle of the summer, whether it be up in the northeast, uh, uh, you know, or here in the southeast, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it gets pretty hot and steamy down here. And if you're not hydrated and if you're not keeping yourself, you know, fueled properly, it's very, very easy to lose steam uh, along the way. And I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our amateur golfers forget about that. They don't even think about it, and they don't think about pre-round as well because it doesn't just you know, it, it doesn't just happen that, you know, all of a sudden uh, you become dehydrated. It's it's a process. So if you haven't had, you know, maybe some water or something to hydrate before you get out in the round, it doesn't take very long for that hydration to, you know, to become dehydrated. Um, so it's always good to drink something before you get out there uh, and not just five minutes before, but, you know, maybe an hour before. Jack, you know, as I said, as I referred to earlier, you know, talked about how he did things you know, sometimes even a couple of hours before he sort of led up to when he was getting ready to go out there um, so that he was well hydrated and so forth. So he wasn't all of a sudden getting, you know, after two or three holes, uh, you know, running out of breath uh, because he was, you know, dehydrated or, you know, didn't have energy. You know, he was there to win that tournament and he knew he had to keep uh, himself in, in, the, in the right state of mind, uh, which goes to your other point, Alicia, and that is, you know, from the mental side of the game, if you're feeling very lethargic or very, you know, brain fog, as you said, you can't focus on the game. Uh, so all those other right. points that we talked about earlier are kind of out the window. So, um, so that's something I think for, for the folks listening, I, th- I want them to really focus on, and that is to make sure that you're uh, keeping yourself hydrated and think about what you're going to eat. If you want to have something, you know, treat yourself a little bit after when you get back into the clubhouse, I'm certainly not going to you know, talking about taking away any of their business, but, you know, that's a little bit different story. You know, go in there, have a, a sandwich or a hot dog or whatever it is that you want to have after round. Uh, but during the round, I think you need to be a little bit more diligent in, in keeping yourself hydrated and, and eating properly. Um, all right, um, Clint, I'm going to go with, with you to start with, and we'll go through all three of you in this mm-hmm. just to sort of wrap up. But um, what should be the takeaway from your rounds? You've done all these things that we've talked about here um, good or bad round doesn't really matter. What do we want to take away as a player? What do we want to take away from our round? Well, I mean, it, it round round to round. I mean, if I if I go out and play well, uh, I want to analyze, you know, to understand well what did I do better today than the the day that I may have not played so well. And then on the other hand, if if I didn't play so well. I want to recognize the things I didn't do. 
so by the time we get to this level of play, wanting to shoot the lowest scores, you, you kind of have that routine. You understand your golf swing. You're out there playing a golf course you probably know. Uh, and just I, I like the idea of the mental, like Tim talked about, the mental portion. That's the strategy. You know, um, was I thinking good today? Did I get it in a spot where I, I was the best I could have made was a bogey? And and those those things to analyze just why you had a good round or possibly why you didn't have a good round because we all jump to conclusions about what well, just wasn't swinging very well today, just like Tim said. Uh, a lot of times you may swing. I mean, it hit a lot of good shots, and uh, I played a few holes today possibly, and I hit a hit a real good iron, and it went to the back of the green because I overclubbed. That wasn't a fact mm-hmm. that I didn't make a good swing. I made a bad choice. Uh, and so I want to analyze that I've play well today or did I hit well sometimes you hit well and the score may not be quite as good as when you play well you know you and I over the years have had this conversation about that third shot can you get it up and in when you didn't get it on the green in regulation and to me that's playing so I want to analyze to see whether I hit good today or I played good if I played good I might want to work a little bit on my hitting but if I hit really well I got to look at my strategy so Coming back to Tim's idea of mental, emotional, and physical, I need to analyze and figure out, well, if I had a good day, were they all hitting on cylinders? Or if I had a bad day, which one of those three were breaking down? Yeah, that's a that's some great points there, uh, Clint. Because, you know, um, and Tim, I'm going to come to you next. Um, but, you know, we see that a lot. Even, even on tour, we see players out there that, you know, their ball striking is just phenomenal that day, but they're not really scoring as well as they could be. So it goes mm-hmm. to your to, to Clint's point is, is that they're you know they're not playing so good. They're hitting the ball great, but they're just not playing very well. Or other times, you know, I can remember a number of times in, in uh, you know press conferences when Tiger, you know, would win the tournament, and yet he would make the comment and say, "Well, I wasn't really playing my A game today, but I'm happy with the results." <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know, you're, you're sitting there. What are you kidding me? What do you mean you're not playing your A game? You just won the tournament by 12 shots. Um, right. But, you know, in his mind, what he was basically saying was what you're alluding to is he, he wasn't hitting as well as he knows he can, but everything came together anyways. So, Tim, wrap us up here from your perspective. What do you want from an emotional standpoint and the mind, if you will? What, what do we want our students to be taking away from their rounds? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I, I want to get back to what Clint said about hitting the ball to the back of the green, and it brings to mind a student I worked with um, several months ago, but but actually noticed that a lot of times I, during the swing itself, there was a thought impulse that came in his head of goosing it up, and he did, and so he swung harder. He didn't maintain his rhythm and tempo. So. To me, it takes – if you're going to play this game well, it takes a very high level of, of self-awareness and, and honesty with yourself in terms of, okay, you know, what do I really need to work on if I'm going to get good at this game? And, again, sometimes it is the mental, sometimes it's the physical, sometimes it's the emotional. To me, it's having the awareness of knowing and being very honest with yourself um, um, what's what's going on um the area i just might mention it really quickly since we're we're kind of talking about this most of my best players 
the area that they notice the most where there's a breakdown before is right before they hit the ball. That as they're walking up from the pre-shot routine, as they're addressing the ball, the mind strays and goes to places they don't want it to go. And to me, that's just the recipe for disaster. So, so um, that's an area that I think that we overlook far too often is, is um, you know, great pre-shot routine. Um, and, again, you've got to have a very high level of awareness to know where things break down. And uh, uh, so there, there needs to be, uh, you know, the talk on nutrition I loved. And, and, and you've got to know what you want out there. And if all you want to do is grin and giggle and have fun, hey, I am all for that. But don't come in and complain about how bad golf was. Yeah, that that's a real right. popular thing to do to me is mm-hmm. is to just, you know, almost you don't really care enough to to um put a lot into your game on that day and, and yet all you want to do is complain. <laughs> it's probably like parenting or anything else, right? Or spousing or anything else. It's like if if you really want it to matter Let's gain the awareness to know what we need to work on, and then let's just take the necessary steps to uh, to produce what we want. Yeah, well said. Um, uh, I couldn't agree more. And, and Alicia, let's maybe twist it just slightly for you, um, just so that we we don't get too repetitive here. But uh, you know, you mentioned a few moments ago about some of your junior golfers and things like that. Maybe the takeaway that we want them to bring might be slightly different than you know, some of our more seasoned or our older golfers, um, we may want a different takeaway. What are your thoughts here uh, as we wrap up? Um, what do you want their takeaway to be from their round? Um, I, I, I want them, you know, there's a, in my, in my academy, well, I have a workout area, and on the wall there's a huge, we had a fun little Saturday one day, and they wanted to paint this on the wall, and I said, yep, there's a perfect one right there. And I call it, um, it was just a formula that I came up with, and it was attitude plus effort equals your outcome. So like Tim was saying, if you, you know, you go out and you have an attitude if you want to have fun and just want to give it the best effort you got to have fun, then, you know, if you don't shoot well, that's okay because your outcome is probably going to match whatever your attitude and effort were. But I tell my kids all the time, like, you know, you, you have to go out with the attitude, you know, know what you are trying to, you know, do that day and the takeaways and just say, I want them to be able to say at the end of the day and when they're walking off the green that they gave it the best shot that they could. They they just gave it all of their effort. They never gave up. They um they they stayed in there the whole time. They didn't, you know, just say, you know, they didn't do, do 10 steps backwards on really bad self-talk and beat themselves up. They were they were, you know, they were more praising of themselves and they just they stayed in it. They they showed some grit and that's really what I try to emphasize with my kids. You know, your score does matter to some extent, but really if you had a bad day and you gave it all, your, your attitude was good and your effort was good and, and you, it just was a bad day. And they, I try to make it, keep it in perspective. Like, you know, some kids have, you know, they have these reactionary ways of just mm. totally beating themselves up when they have really bad attitude and effort. And I'm like, look, we gotta, we gotta talk about that and keep it into perspective. And so mm. I, I really want them to, and I, that's just not not just juniors. So, but I I do try to keep it in the perspective of saying you know let's let's just take one step at a time. And they they have a, a tendency to lose sight of their progress in the process that they're doing. They'll they'll improve. And I literally had two eighth grade girls the other day that I 
I've I've worked with them the year at, uh, season after their seventh grade year, and they were shooting in the 60s for nine holes. And I said, you know, you 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 know that's like 44 over par. You know, we just started crunching some numbers, and and you know, they I just wanted to be in perspective that they're now they in their eighth grade season they were shooting 20 some over par, and now just going out in the spring they're shooting like 11 and 12 and 13 over par. So I want hmm. them to see how they've progressed and. You know, but they sit and complain about, well, my irons are terrible. And I'm like, well, look, let's just talk about this. They're they're really pretty good compared to where you were. And so let's just one step at a time. But your takeaway from, I ask about takeaways from every lesson. You know, what were your takeaways from today? So I, I, I'm really, I appreciate the gentleman talking about, you know, self-awareness. Both Clint and Tim were saying self-awareness is just so big. They, they just, they cannot say in my academy, I don't know. Because they they have to they have to come up with an answer. They they it's not allowed. That phrase is not allowed. <laughs> and, and, and they don't, right. they really like they hold them accountable. Believe me, They're, they can't say you know well, like, well how how can we get out and play? Well, I don't know. If they can't say it. They have to come up. They have to say so. Their takeaways from everything. It's like I love the takeaways not only from after the round, but you know after the week that they haven't seen me or after you know just doing an assessment of their attitude and effort. How is it and how's your outcome? And so yeah. Yeah, juniors are interesting, too, because, you know, they, they've obviously are, are high in energy. I mean, they've got all kinds of energy, mm-hmm. and they're like sponges. They, they want to learn. They want to absorb. But they're also very uh, – they can be very volatile, too, because they're, they're – uh, and, again, I, I'm sure a lot of it's hormonal at that age because they're firing at all cylinders. But, uh, you know, they're, they're very hard on themselves. And, and that's a crucial time when you really want to be teaching them, uh, you know, some of the things that Tim has talked about and, and, and others uh, about really learning to relax and, and that because, you know, we mm-hmm. want them to go out and have fun. We want them to learn, um, but we want them to be able to relax and not be so hard on themselves because kids are very hard on themselves and, you know, they want to do well. They want to, you know, be out there and, and impress, the, you know, their parents and their coach and whatnot. And a lot of times they, you know, they, they get down on themselves. So, you know, you, you got to find that balancing act. So uh, I like that. Let's, let's, you know, what are our tape, takeaways going to be from today? And let's focus on those and, and let's try to make them positive. And that doesn't mean you ignore, you know, things that maybe didn't go as well, but you don't dwell and focus right. on them and get down on them uh, because otherwise it's just going to consume. All right, great discussion tonight, guys, on, on the panel. I appreciate it very much. And as always, I'll just give you a, a quick moment. Uh, Alicia, take a deep breath. I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go in reverse order, uh, Clint and then Tim. Uh, for those that want to reach out and maybe contact you uh, and have a, a further discussion or maybe work with you, what's the best uh, way they can do that? Go ahead. Sure, yeah. It's, uh, my book is available on Amazon. It's an easy read. It's kind of just a fun little first book that I've ever written, so it was fun to write that and it has to do with self-talk and the mind game of golf. So you can find that on Amazon. It's the missing link, the powerful role of self-talk in the mind game of golf. That's on Amazon. And you can get a hold of me um, on my website, which is simple. It's www.gratitudegolf.com. And you can email me on that if anybody has any questions or wants to get a hold of me. Perfect. Um, and Tim, what about yourself? Yeah, um, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, Tim at PeakPerformanceMindCoaching.com. And uh, we do a we, – we actually for 15 years now, uh, we've been doing a thought of the day. It's free. People are welcome to sign up for that. That has a mind game concept. Um, we, we found out uh, actually last week that it has been open more than uh, since we started uh, 15 years ago. 
Uh, it's been opened more than 10 million times. So um, wow. uh, I think that increasingly the need and the desire to learn the mind game is, is pretty exciting to me. And But I'm also fond of saying that, you know, it takes a good mind, but it also takes a, a good physical move. So, yeah, Tim at performancemindcoaching.com. Perfect. And Clint, finally? Uh, very quickly, it's uh, Clint Goff at zero, zero, or on Facebook, Thursday. and uh, get me either way, and look forward to hearing from you. And guys, we had a great All right. Thank you. All right. Sounds good, guys. Uh, Clint Wright, Alicia Larson, Tim Kramer, thank you very much, as always, for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel, and I will see you guys next time. Thanks, and have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. All right, that was the panel discussion tonight. And as just before we bring on tonight's special guest, a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, don't forget, go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. You'll get a lot of good information. And don't forget, while you're there, sign up for our newsletter as well. We have a nice uh, newsletter every month that comes out, gives you some uh, tips and some other information, some special offers from some of our partners. Uh, so make sure you check that out at golftipsmag.com. All right, tonight's very special guest. I'm excited to have him. Uh, he is a decorated three-time All-American at the University of Georgia uh, he played on the PGA Tour from 79 through to 2000, and then subsequently for 10 years on the Champions Tour. He played on uh, a number of Ryder Cup uh, teams where he secured uh, many, many points. And uh, he also recorded three runner-up finishes in majors, one at the Masters and two at the U.S. Open. Uh, he also stood in the winner's circle a number of times as well and uh, out-dueled uh, major winners like Lanny Watkins, Hale Irwin, Greg Norman and Fuzzy Zeller, just to name a few, and uh, won his first two professional tournaments in 1988 by combined 11 strokes. And he was the second player at the time in history uh, to record a 59 um, back in 1991 at the Las Vegas Invitational. And um, very, very excited to have him. He's also currently the uh, Perfect Motion Ambassador. Uh, please welcome my very special guest this evening, Chip Beck. Good Hello evening, there. Chip, and welcome to the show. I'm How are you doing? I'm to be here. Fantastic, and I thought the show was so good. You know, I, I remember the first – it reminded me of one special time in my life. The first tournament I won was the L.A. Open, and uh, the, I was emotionally down. And all I tried to do was to pick one good thing that I did in my golf swing and not worry those were my two thoughts, key thoughts that week, and I actually ended up winning. And it's really funny how I'd played 10 years on tour, and I finally ended up winning with those type thoughts. So, you know, the post-shot routine is really significant. So, anyways, you, you had yeah, some it, really insightful guests. 
Well, I appreciate that. We have a panel discussion every every week uh, to start the show off, and then, of course, um, guests like yourself come on the second half. But, yeah, it's always interesting because, you know, we try to look at things a little bit different. Everybody talks about, well, how do you fix the slice and how do you do that? And, you know, after a while, it, it gets a little bit mundane, a little bit boring talking about the same thing. So you've got to kind of expand people's minds a little bit. And, you know, that's some great insight on your part, and, and thank you for, for tuning into that part of the broadcast. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So I want to ask you, before we get into perfect motion, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, that in, in more detail on that, but I, I just want to talk about golf in general. Um, so let's go way back uh, a little bit to an earlier time, and I'd like to know why golf? What drew you to the game? What was really funny about it, my mother knew I was a very active kid. I was actually burning down the, the neighborhood in you know, the forest that was across the street, I was getting in all kinds of trouble. So she knew I had so much energy. So one morning she woke me up at about 6.30 and said, Chip, I want you to go to the golf course and try golf. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, you you don't have to go back. But all your friends are trying it, and I'm trying it as well. So I really want you to do it. I said, oh, Mom, I'm so tired. She said, well, that's okay, but I just want you to try it one time. And, man, when I hit that first shot on that 18th fairway in my hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina, I still remembered watching that ball go so high in the sky, I thought, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was, I was captivated from that moment forward. And, I, you know, recently I was telling my mom I was driving by the golf course, and I said, Mom, I do not – I can't imagine – how I spent every waking hour for 50 years trying to be the best golfer that I could possibly be. I said, I used to live at this golf course. We're passing it by, mm-hmm. you know, it's right up the street where I grew up. And I thought, wow, that, that's a real passion for something. And I'm so happy I had that. And I'm so glad that golf had so much to it. And, and I, the, the most amazing thing, that summer, 1967, I was like 10 years old. And Raymond Floyd was having the grand opening of his father's course called Cypress Lakes. Jack Nicklaus was 27 years old. He had won seven majors and about seven tournaments, and he had not been a member of the PGA of America for five years, so he wasn't in the Ryder Cup. Well, it was Ryder Cup week, and he came by, and I remember just so clearly Raymond giving me 30 brand-new Wilson Staff golf balls. I remember the shots, Nicklaus driving it over the corner on the fourth hole, Hitting a wedge on the front of the green from 100 yards, I thought, wow, I can do better than that. I was 10 years old. And like, so it, it was so exciting. I remembered following them into the locker room. And, you know, was, I guess 40 years later, my mother called me and said, Chip, you need to come home. And uh, LB Floyd's not doing well, real well. You might need to pay your mm-hmm. last respect. So I, I drove up to his house. He's coming out in a wheelchair. He looked up. He said, Chip, the greatest day of my life was when you and Raymond finished 1-2 in the U.S. Open. And I remember going mm. through that locker room that day, and I remember exactly where I walked following Jack Nicholson and, uh, and Raymond Floyd. And that smell of that locker room was the same today as it was 40 years ago. Right. I couldn't believe it. I, I was so into it. I just loved it. There's nothing in my life that I loved more. It was incredible. You know, it goes to the point I made just as as I was closing up and wrapping up the the uh, previous segment about uh, you know the juniors. 
you know, they just have that energy, that passion, and, you know, you, you just, you know, really uh, put a fine point on it. You know, when you were 10 years old, uh, you know, the thoughts that were going, you know, I can do better than that, you already were developing that inside passion um, at, at such an early age, um, just from, from something, you know, years earlier that your mother introduced you to and, and um, you know, just went on and on, and, and here you are today, you know, many years later, you're still involved in the game. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. I want to go back. I think I already have an idea of this question here, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Um, who were some of the players that you admired growing up? Obviously, Jack and, and Ray Floyd were, were a couple. Was there anybody else that, that particularly that, you know, during your time or, or growing up uh, that you admired once you, you kind of got bitten by the golf bug? Well, Arnold Palmer, obviously, you know, his biography came out early on, mm-hmm. and I read that. And one of the things that was really cool is George Archer won the Masters in 1969. And I loved his putting style. And um, so I emulated his putting style. And uh, I think what was nice about it is the, the pro that taught me was Tony Evans, and he was 6'6". I think George was probably at least that tall, if not taller. And uh, Tony taught me to putt a lot like George Archer. And plus, Tony had played the tour. And he, uh, he told me, he said, Chip, every great putter that he's spoken to, from Nicholas to Archer to uh, Lou Graham, he said what they do is they use the left hand as the power, the left hand, and they would use the right hand as the guidance and the precision of the stroke. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've used that since the time I was probably 15 years old, if not earlier than that. So... I, uh, you know, one of the great things about golf in my day is I was able to play golf with George Archer. I played George, with George right. in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Columbus, Georgia, and he was hitting an up, uphill shot into like the ninth green, and he had a six iron in his hand. And I said, I said, George, what do you think about when you hit this shot? He said, Chip, I look at the back of that ball, and I see the flight of the ball that I want, and I turn it loose. And I thought, wow, that's pretty simple. He said, oh, yeah. He said, the simpler, the better. But, you know, he won in his 40s on tour. And um, what was nice about the tour back then is I played with, in my 20s, I played with all the 40 and 50-year-olds. So right. the Champions Tour hadn't really started. And so I had Chi-Chi and George and Colbert. And I had all these guys. They'll teach you a lot about the game. J.C. Steed taught me a lot. Even I played in uh, 1979 with Sam Sneed. He shot his age. I think he was 68. But I, rem- wow. I remember playing the first hole with him, and he, after I hit my shot, he was, he was standing below me. The tee was elevated a little bit. And he came over and hit me on the shoulder and said, I hate to use this word, but he said, damn it, Chip, keep the ball in your, in your stance, son. You can't, you can't play from there. I said, Mr. Steve, what do you mean? He said, well, you can't play with a ball outside your stance. You've got to put it in the middle of your stance there. Keep it inside your feet. I, I mean, how do you forget that? That's Sam Sneed. But he shot his age that week in 1979. I think he was 68 at, the, at that time. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Mm. And I, I'll never very forget it. But yeah. the guys, yeah, they're, they're relaxed. They're, they enjoy the game, and they love people, and they, they would tell you a lot about how to play the game. I, I was in pot bunkers with, you know, in Phoenix with Trevino, and he's laughing at me. He said, man, Chip, 
<laughs> he said, take that club straight up, not down on that ball. It'll come straight up. The steeper you are, the steeper the, 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 steeper the ball will come out. And I couldn't get out. He jumped down in there, and he lifted out twice from a – I mean, he stepped on the ball. I said, wow, that's amazing. And then also he, yep. one time he told me, which was funny, he said, Chip, you're the dumbest guy I ever met. He said, you tee it up in the middle of the tee, <laughs> try to hit in the middle of the fairway. How are you going to do that? He said, Uncle Buck's going to beat you every time. So I love that story, but it's so true. <laughs> you know, I, right. watch, I watch the young kids today, and I think, wow, they're, they're really going about it the wrong way, you know. Mm-hmm. They uh, they shouldn't slide that face to the right. They should just lay it back like Seve. I've never seen, you know, Seve leave it in a bunker uh, to to lose a tournament. I mean, I, I just can't remember. Maybe one time at the British Open or something where, you know, the ball would come from 10 feet on the green back to him. But um, I, you just never saw him double chip, have to chip twice on a hole or anything like that. Because I think that his technique was better. Tiger used the Seve technique. But a lot of these kids today, mm-hmm. they'll just slide the face to the right, manipulate the club coming down, and then they hit an angle of the club face where even the toe of the club is smooth. That's why they started making right. you know, the full face with grooves. But I, I think mm-hmm. that's a real uh, – it's an inconsistent way to actually lob the ball and hit bunker shots and things like that. So – if if I were playing, you know, I'd tell them like like those guys told me, "Hey, come on, you can't hit a shot like that." Matter of fact, some of the young kids <laughs> I teach in Florida, they said, "Well, Chip, I can't, I can't do this right now." I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, I've got the coach coming in to watch me. He's 15 years old. I've got the two college coaches coming in to watch my tournament. I got to be in good shape." I said, "The heck with the college coaches. You can't even beat me right now, and you need to beat some people right. before you get to college." Right. So I said, see if you can beat me, and and they couldn't beat me, you know. So I said, well, that that tells you a lot right there. Forget about the coach. I I saw Paul Ager, he couldn't make the the sixth man on a on a junior college team for Jim Suddy at, at Brevard Junior College, you know. So mm. uh, at, yeah, I think mm. it was Brevard Junior College. So I mean, it's a matter of when you get there, and are you going to get there? So you have to develop skills to get there. You just can't. It doesn't fall out of the sky, you know. Yeah, it's it's amazing too. You know, when you look back and you watch some of those earlier players, like the Trevinos, like the Chichis. Um, you know, I remember years ago, and I don't recall what tournament it was, but you know, Chichi hitting this sweeping hook with a three wood off the deck, and I mean, this thing was so low, uh, you know, the worms were ducking their heads, and he ended up parking that thing on the green. And I thought, how the heck did he hit this shot? But these guys, you know, now with equipment, you can't do stuff like that anymore. It won't allow you to. Uh, you know, to work the ball as, as efficiently as they did back then. But, you know, look at Lee Trevino and, and others that you mentioned, um, just how they were able to manipulate the golf ball, um, you know, almost at will with with incredible shots. And today, you know, in, in my opinion, when I when I look at some of these young players, it, it's actually, I, I forgive me for using this word, but it's, it's boring um, because they're, you know, they're bombing it out there 300-plus yards, and they're coming in with a wedge, and then they've got their putter, um, they don't even need 14 clubs in their bag anymore. It's gotten to the point where the game has gotten so long, um, and they're not really shot makers anymore. You know, we had shot makers back in, you know, days like Billy Casper and, and others uh, that were out there. So you're, you're exactly right in, in your analogy. Best and worst parts, Chip, of your game. What was your best part of your game, and what was your worst part? Well, probably the best part was, I was a good bunker player. 
over the course of my career, I probably scored the highest in my bunker play, which, mm-hmm. you know, is part of your, 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 your putting stat as well. But the, the, the strength of my game was that I, you know, it's kind of like a Raymond Floyd that I didn't really have a glaring weakness. Raymond didn't really have, he probably wasn't great in any, in any area, but he didn't have any weakness, whatever. And he was a great putter. So, I mean, obviously, when I won my tournaments, I always led in driving accuracy and putting. So that's kind of mm-hmm. the where that's where every player in my generation had to be good, keeping the ball in place so you, you could be an offensive player. And, and like you're saying, you know, in our day, the ball spun so much more, and you'd have a guy like yep. Davis Love. I mean, he, he could over-compress the ball, over-spin it. I mean, he would do better just gearing down and, and spinning the ball less, you know. And um, what was interesting about it, a Davis Love, he could hit the ball as far as anybody in the world today if he needed it in our day. I mean, so, yeah. so even a, a Jack Nicklaus was only like, you know, a club, club and a half longer than me. And, um, you know, a little bit longer with the driver. But I was in the ballpark with those guys. And I, if, in my day, if you mm-hmm. could hit it 250 in the middle of the fairway you, and you could win a U.S. Open, they had to beat me. They had to beat every player in right. the field. And, and I tell people this all the time. I said, Tiger Woods has won 45 events with 30-man fields. Sam Snead never won a 30-man field. And, I, and the, probably the, the tournament they won the most was an 80-man field, the Masters, you know. But every field mm-hmm. and every yeah. time he played in was basically 150-man fields or at least, you know, 142 or something. But Nicholas the same way. I mean, the, the first 30-man field event I played was the Greg Norman Shark Shootout, like, 89, 88, somewhere in there when that started. I mean, that was the biggest giveaway program in the world. I remember John Daly, mm-hmm. we, were, we were tied for third, and the last day's the scramble. And John had lost 87000 in in gambling football the day before. And he was really mm-hmm. upset. And, he was, and his girlfriend was saying he felt like he, he just he, he wasn't going to play. He was so embarrassed. He felt so bad. And I said, where is he? I need to talk to him. Because we were, if we stayed where we were, which is probably a 90% chance, probably 95% chance, that's where we we're going to stay. Because in a scramble format, you know, guys shoot 59 or 60. Every, every You just can't get break away from the field. You can't pick up more than a shot. And we were in, like, third place, and that was 190000 for us. And I told John, I said, John, forget about it. We're going to make – if we don't make $190,000, i will pay you $190,000. I'll guarantee you, you're going to make money today. That's how confident I am. And you know what? He went out and played like nothing happened. He was so amazing. Yeah. He had great hands. He had the best short game of a of a guy that hit the ball a long way. But I will tell you this, man, when he hit it, you didn't know where it was going. And I remember there mm. was one hole out there at uh, in, in California. We played uh, the Shark Shootout at, uh, in uh, Thousand Oaks. What's the name of that golf course? Uh, but anyways, there was a oh. hole out there that is a par five, a creek running down the right side. It cut out, it cut uh, in the fairway. You had about 275 to the end of the fairway. And then down pretty much where guys would hit over their second shots, there'd be a creek where it would come back in. And um, I ran to the tee. John was up there. I said, John, let me hit first. Let me get my ball down the fairway because it's a pretty tight drive. <laughs> So I hit my ball in the fairway, and when he hit it, that ball came down. I don't, I, I don't know where that ball went. It went so far. We don't know where in the world it is today. 
I said, it's, it's 300 some odd yards down in the creek. It, it was amazing how far he could hit it. It would go out of sight. So we had people looking oh, yeah. for it, following it. We had no idea where it was. But Sherwood was the name <laughs> of the golf course. And, uh, man, yep. that was, he was a talented player. I'll tell you that. So I, I remember yeah, he, complimenting John. I said, John, you had a great tournament. It was at the same tournament course. He said, Chip, I was hitting it so good, I went right to the bar, got me a shot of Jack Daniels, went to the first tee, drove the green, and never looked back. I said, man, John, you're amazing, man. I'll tell you what. I wish I had that reckless abandon in my game. I'd have played a lot better right. a lot of, at a lot of times, you know. But when people are gifted like that, like he told me, he broke, he busted his driver when he's leading the British Open on the ninth hole. He broke his driver, cracked, and the ball was hooking 50 yards. He said, "Wow, that's a benefit. If that ball's hooking 50 yards, you know, because at St Andrews, if you hook it 50 yep. yards and you're hitting it further down the left, the better shape you're in." So he played it for the last nine holes and won the British Open. I'd be scared to death to do wow. something like that. I'd be changing my club out and. Worried about the club snapping or something, you know, but it didn't bother you right. a bit. So there, there's a part of the game that you have to have some of that, you know. So I, I always tell people my biggest choke was when I would try too hard or be too careful. I never felt like a choke because, man, I, I didn't feel like I had it in me, even though everybody's nervous. And uh, But trying too hard, being too careful, that's as big a choke as anything you can do. So that's the tragedy. Yeah. You know, you learn that about your personality as you get older and as you look back on your career. Mm-hmm. But golf's a great challenge, well, and, and uh, I, I love that part of it. Every part of it, really, yeah, and, to be and every, Yeah, and every player is different. You know, there's there's so many, you know, personalities come into it. And, and you're right, I, I remember years ago watching John up at the Canadian Open uh, and Glen Abbey uh, off the range, and, and it was just amazing, not only the distance, but the finesse that he had with his wedges, you know, and uh, on the putting green, he would lob them up there. You know, you would think that they were going to never come down and they would just, you know, be, he'd be three feet away from the green and he just lobbed this, you know, the skyrocket up and it would just drop down and just trickle up by the hole uh, on the putting uh, green. And, and I used to think, man, this is just, and he would take a full swipe at it. It wasn't like he would just go back, you know, to a, a halfway back. He'd go you know, full, you know, John Daly, wrap it, you know, around the back of his neck pretty much, and he'd come around with that with that uh, lob wedge. Um, all right, I want to talk. Uh, I'll let's tell move you, on to talking perfect about vote. that. Yeah, go ahead. Go me, ahead. I, I got to tell you the story because it's unbelievable. At Glen Abbey, I was doing the television mm-hmm. in 2000 when Tiger Woods was coming down the stretch with Grant Waite, and yep. I'll never forget the shot Tiger Woods hit out of that bunker on the right, fair, right fairway bunker, right side of that fairway. And yep. honestly and truly, I was in the fairway on the on, I was you know forty yards from him, and the 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 rain that was coming down, it would be you know a big splash of water. It was like it, it would run chills down your back. The splash would hit you. It you know they're two inches in diameter. The the big uh, splashes of water, and he was getting pelted with this water coming down. And that's the greatest shot I think I've ever seen. I thought, oh, my gosh, he's hit it in the water. He hit it right. And he went over everything with a six iron. That was the longest six yep. iron I think I've ever seen and one of the greatest <laughs> shots in golf history. If you ever go play Glen Abbey or just look it up on the Internet, that's one of the greatest, longest six irons in the history of the game. 
And then to think about that wind and having that, I mean, the, the drops of rain coming down, that that guy was amazing. So that that was exciting. Yeah, he had. I, I had to, oh, that was exciting. But that yeah, was a long golf no, course I back agree. then. Yeah, I agree. I was actually not far away from him when he hit that shot, so I remember it very, very well. I used to go to Glen Abbey all the time. All right, um, let's move on to perfect motion. Um, tell us, for those that maybe aren't familiar with perfect motion, what it is, and then tell us how you and why you got involved. What's really amazing, I had a friend from mine in, uh, Boston, from Boston, Massachusetts, Tim Tierney, and he had this friend from MIT that he taught lessons to, Rich Kozowski. And they developed a, a product that they, it was like using sonar, and it would put barriers around your head, one on each side of your head. And it was like a bar you'd put down on the ground. And uh, they raised some money, got it to market, did pretty well with it, but, you know, they sold it to Revolution Golf. But then they said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so Rich, being a data scientist, came up with this thing where they reversed the camera on the phone and they mm-hmm. started using the camera to record your golf swing. And so they started taking in three-dimensional data and it, it shows up on your, your screen or your phone as in, in two-dimensional style. And it's called a motion map. But what, it, what the phone can do, it can de- detect 18 different faults in your golf swing. So it's really phenomenal when it comes to teaching the game. And the, the nice part about it, it's all digital technology. So it can take pictures of your swing. And no matter where you are in the world, it'll get right to your teacher instantaneously. It goes right to the cloud, comes right down in like seconds, you know. But now what's really fascinating about it, the way the pros use it, and it's an area called grooving where you pick your model swing or the swing that you think is the best, and then you start grooving it and see how many times you can match that in your performance. And I'm telling you what, that is really the coolest thing. So you, you put the phone on the ground, all you need is your phone, and then you take a swing and it'll match it. 85%, 75% will give you a number right off the bat how close you came to matching your model swing. I mean, that's invaluable. So, like yesterday, right. I was practicing with it. And I was I was moving off the ball to the right, and I, I knew that was my fault. You know, if I get to moving too much, and uh, you know, I was, I mean, it was like having my own coach right in front of me, and it it teaches you and it gives you instant feedback, so you can make adjustments, and you can do the trial and error to try to see how good you can be, and then how to match that swing. Well, I think that's the reason why this technology works so well is because there's a loop of learning that goes in there that we've never had in golf, where Mm -hmm. you take a swing, you get feedback, make the adjustment, you get more feedback. So literally, it's like having an an expert or your coach right there with you watching your swing. And so, for instance, a lot of people – they come over the top of their golf swing. And one of the determining factors that they found was that side bend and impact is the most important factor to measure for good ball striking. And it makes sense because if you use your hips and move forward, it gives room for the elbow. You can have lag 
and compression on the golf ball. If you have the 90-degree angle at waist high. So, you know, it, it's, it's phenomenal to see how accurate it is. Like the eye can't pick it up. And then when I can make the adjustments, you know, like, for instance, the guy that's coming over the top, his, his side bend will be a negative 14 to the left negative zero to the, you know, or, or negative one to the left. Well, anybody that swings with a neck, with a side bend to the left, they're not going to hit the ball. They're going to be glancing the ball, cutting it or pull hooking right. it and using their hands a lot. So the way you can do it is you can go, you can use it in the gym. I use it with a lot of uh, like a fan or some, you know, a short club, or you can do it with a ball, without a ball. And so I tell my students, get a feel for coming down and getting side bend and see if you can get your side bend up to 20 degrees from the right versus the left. And then they start feeling it and then they're able to get better. So it's, it's uh, you speed the improvement and uh, you know, now the data is so rich and full that we're starting to be able to look at companies like Jumbo Max. We're, we're starting to meet with Jumbo Max. We love, John Mazenoble and his and his uh, sidekick Chris Plummer. The, these guys are building a company up with the Shambo, and but they've never had mm-hmm. any technology to show them that yeah, their eyes stay steadier and their eye tilt is is it doesn't change during their putting stroke. Well, we measure that with perfect motion, and so when 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 the pros start using, um, you know, perfect motion to get fitted for their putters, which where do you stay the steadiest? What's the best stroke for you? You know, because mm-hmm. people have trouble, you know, setting up the right length of shaft. And, you know, like even DeChambeau with his setup, does he stay steadier or how steady does he stay? So those are the right. things, the data that we're, we're starting to get today. Just like, you know, if your body motion will be better with a fatter grip versus a thinner grip, you know, more than likely. So you can find out where where each person is better fitted to their grip. So there, there are lots of uses for the data. And so nobody in, the, in golf is going to have as much data as perfect motion. We've already had like, you know, 150,000 golf swings, and the data is rich. It's, it has, uh, you know, so many uh, points on it. We include shoulder turn, and we include side bend because those are two real big factors for, you know, hitting the ball well. So it's, it's a really cool thing, and it's really getting exciting. It's growing dramatically right now. Let me ask you, uh, Chip, before you got started with Perfect Motion, uh, obviously, you know, you uh, played on tour and that. And then you got into the teaching side of things a little bit, and sort of traditional teaching, face-to-face time, if you will, um, you know, typical – uh, recording video and so forth, uh, you know, has typically worked, but compared to what Perfect Motion does, uh, it, it's starting to become very antiquated. So before you got started with Perfect Motion, you weren't really necessarily a big fan of remote. What was it about Perfect Motion that kind of changed that for you? Um, was it just the fact that the data that you were able to gather uh, through the app, or was it something else that sort of flicked that switch for you that said, you know what, we can do remote coaching with this tool? Well, the thing that was so difficult for me is, like, I started working with Jim Suddy, 
who I think is one of the best teachers I've ever been around. He was the first guy to really teach me and not learn with me. And so I would go and I would practice for an hour with him. We'd record every swing and then we'd review every swing and we'd watch and see what needed to happen. But there was really no way for me to actually feel it during the course of practice. So perfect motion gives you, it's the first data, you know, that, or first device you could put on the ground and it'll give you instant feedback where you can make the adjustments yourself. So if, if I need to work on something, then I can feel it. And in the feeling process, that's where you get better. So, for instance, I remember when I, the first time I went to, it was like 1984, I went to the Memorial Tournament, and I used to stay with this dentist friend of my dad's. On, he stayed on like the, the first hole and on the, on the green. And he said, hey, Chip, you've got to go see this Lewis Stanley. He's teaching all the athletes at Ohio State, and they're all playing great. I said, great, I'm, in, I'm all in. So he's a sports psychologist. I went, he put me on the couch, and I re- I'll never forget it. He said, Chip, if you can feel it, you can do it. If you can feel it, you can do it. And believe it or not, I went to the golf course that week, and I, I was determined to feel my swing. I could see it, you know. And I finished second in that tournament. I led that tournament going into the 14th hole playing with Jack Nicklaus the last day. And I hit it out of bounds at 14 because I'm thinking, gosh, if I hit two iron, I have to hit seven iron to that back right pin. That's just the wind's kicking up in my face. I need to cut a three wood out there. Well, I caught it, cut it, caught the wind, went out of bounds. I, I was like shocked, you know. But on the 71st hmm. hole, Jack Nicklaus hit it to the right with his driver out of bounds. I couldn't believe it. And I told, I was teasing him. I said, I don't think you've ever, you know, years later, I said, I don't, I bet you never hit the ball out of bounds on the 71st hole and ended up winning the tournament. So I remember that ball sitting right up on that lady's porch. Here it is. He said, give me a ball. He went back to the tee, hit driver, eight iron, hit it 10 feet, made birdie for five. I said, man, this guy's great. But I remember standing there. He left the shot short at 18. Just like, like a ten yard pitch, it's going to roll ten yards. Pretty, pretty basic chip. And I waited, and I, I stayed behind him, and I waited, and I waited. He wasn't going to hit that shot till he was ready. And he chipped mm-hmm. it up about six, eight inches. He got in the playoff and beat Andy Bean in the playoff. But you know what? When you can feel your golf swing, good things happen. And that's what I did that week. So I'll never forget that. That was a great experience. But I think perfect motion gives you the ability to feel the changes you're making, which, you know, that's the quickest way to improve. It's the only way to improve. And that's what I think has been missing in golf. Yeah, and, and traditionally, you, you raise a very interesting point, Chip, because, it, and again, it, it's not a, a, a criticism when I say this, because, you know, obviously this is what we've worked with for so many years now, is, um, you know, taking video of students and so on and so forth, and then analyzing that video is very time-consuming. And in this day and age where people want, you know, I hate to use the term instant gratification, they want to be able to get the information now. They don't want to wait until the next time they're coming to the lesson tee to see you to analyze everything. They want to get that information fast. So one of the other criticisms... There's no doubt about that, it. No doubt about right, it. That tr- right. One of the other criticisms that typically has followed... 
um, for, for many, many years, golf instruction is this sort of one size fits all. We've seen so many different theories, so many, you know, and, I, and again, I hate to point fingers, but, you know, golf gurus coming out and saying, well, you know, you need to swing this way, you need to swing that way. And we've come to understand that everybody's uniquely different. You were different from Jack, Jack was different from you, and so on and so forth. So now that you have this at your fingertips, what can it do for the individual student that's going to help him or her with their game and not put them sort of in that one-size-fits-all box? So, for instance, I play golf down at, uh, in, in Naples, Florida with a group, and most of the men are in their mid-70s. And they were good players. One was actually a pro at one time. And they have a their swing, and that's their swing. And they're not worried about changing it, fixing it, or anything. But they know when they're swinging their best, and they know what their optimal swing is. So they can, you know, bank that swing and record that swing and then try to match it in their practice just with the use of the phone. And it's literally, you hit the shot, 85%, 90%. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit it, boom, 73%. I mean, it gives you a percentage. It's really quite impressive. But, yeah, the, the video is a very slow way, and it's, it, it, and plus, like, I was giving a lot of lessons for 30 to 40 minutes, and I don't think anybody ever, you know, viewed the whole video. And so what's right. nice about the perfect motion, it's actually – it picks up and it prioritizes one fault at a time. And that's really important. The prioritizing of faults, you know, will pick out what the need is, what the biggest fault is. And so, for instance, I've, I've given lessons to people, like I knew this one girl who was a really good player. She played tennis at the University of Chicago. She was athletic. And I could see in her motion map, which means, you know, her – address position to the top of her swing, and then at impact. Everything was stacked on top of each other, and everything was to the left. She had no lateral loading of her left shoulder, moving her weight to her right side. And then I showed her a picture of a professional, how they set up. I think I sent, I think it was a Paula Kramer. I sent her how she sets up behind the ball. And then there was... Um, Sandra Gall, who had a white vest on with a black line running right down the middle of the of the, the jacket, and you could see the side bend at a dress. I sent that picture to my student, you know, and it, it's the way they communicate. I just, you know, emailed it. She looked at it. Wow, she really liked it. And then I knew I could see, you know, like everybody does in their putting. She did the same thing. She leaned left. She moved to the right in her putting. So her motion mat was bad. I said, look, set up like this LPGA player. Look at her head. It's behind the ball. Look at the ball and her putters under her left ear. So the ball was more forward. And she, she texted me a, a, two weeks later. She said, Chip, I didn't realize I'm a visual learner, and I played the best golf of my life. I broke 100 for the first time. I shot 96. And I mean, wow. that's what I mean. It's it's just more efficient, and it's more effective because it is one thing at a time. Is so, it the future of of golf instruction? Do you think it'll be a big part of it? 
And I think the reason is because, you know, we have, we have teachers in Australia. Actually, excuse me, we have, we have people using it in Australia, but we have teachers in England teaching guys in the U.S. and vice versa. Guy in Raleigh teaching a person in London. You know, and they they teach people in Chicago. I'm te- teaching people, you know, right now from New York, and I'm in in my in uh, in Naples, Florida. So it's a it's a better way to learn, and I, I do think that you know, it, it's we've just been growing the company organically, but now it's ready to take off because mm-hmm. with the grooving and the the new data that's coming in and the ability of the app, it just keeps improving. So they're game changers for the game of golf and the way we've learned. So, yeah, the video, I, I think a lot of these companies, they, they've actually, they want to buy what Perfect Motion's doing, but it's way too early. And it's, it's really interesting because golfers are traditional people. And even the golf pros, they only can see themselves using video. And they'll say, well, right. I only follow the ball flight. I only look at ball flight. But see, video, you can't see ball flight unless they say it's good or bad or left or right. But they're so right. used to it, they think they can see it, you see. But the reality is, in, in perfect motion, with the motion map, like Jake Thurman, one of the great teachers from Chicago, he said, when I see the motion map, I see a golf swing. And he's right. He sees the whole thing. And he's real tech savvy. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's pretty fascinating. The young generation... Uh, they're so good with computers that it's easier for the, the upcoming generation, I think, even though we have so many people, 65 and probably in middle age, that are really using it. But the teachers, you know, right. they have to have some tech savvy to, you know, sign people <laughs> up on their website. And they have to, they have to sure. you know, like Perfect Motion's a, a platform, so we manage a lot of the websites for the pros and so it, I've learned a lot working with them, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I would imagine, too, Chip, from a, from a student's perspective, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the avenues typically was, you know, we would show up to the lesson tee, we would take our lesson, you know, the pro might give us one or two uh, tips depending on what, what it is we're working on, and, you know, we go home and hopefully before the next lesson we've hit the, the practice tee uh, you know, maybe once or twice or whatever the case is, that's on a good day. Uh, maybe even got out and, and put some at practice, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of the things that we've been taught uh, out in an, an actual round of golf um, before we come to the next, you know, session with our, with our teacher. What I would imagine the benefits here with, with Perfect Motion is that, number one, you don't have to get face-to-face with, with whatever pro you might be working with but you're getting that instant feedback on your swing and other aspects of your game, and you're getting things to work on to help you fix it. Um, because you know as well as I do, you know, you've been teaching for a while now as well, in addition to playing, that a lot of these students, when they get home, when they've left, left your, your session in the past, they forget certain things. They forget, well, what did he say? And, you know, they're too embarrassed. They're not going to pick up the phone and say, hey, Chip, you know, I can't remember what you told me last week, what, what I need to be working on. I would imagine perfect motion puts all that nicely together and gives them, here's the issues, here's what you need to be doing to make the changes. They're getting real-time feedback, and now they're getting things right in their phone that they can use until the next time that they uh, you know, want to have a session or they want to work with, with their pro. Would I, would I be correct in saying that? That's really true. What's really interesting is you, 
where I think a real benefit for perfect motion is, like, say, for instance, somebody that wants to learn to play golf, they can come in, sign up for perfect motion. It's like $6 a month, and that, that app will actually take them through stance, posture, and alignment, and they can start taking swings. It'll actually get them started playing golf, and they they can actually go through and become a, a decent player just using the app because it'll pick a fault, and it'll give them a fix, and it'll give the expert or, or my guidance in a video clip for that particular fault. So like I said, there were 18 different faults. There's a video fix that I'll give and that every pro that's associated with perfect motion, they, they put on the app. And uh, it, it's fed to the student. And so, yet yeah, it's prioritized. And uh, so they, they can really go through it and get better. And we always say, mm-hmm. you know, it's better golf through expert guidance. And then once they get to a mm-hmm. certain point, they want to get better. You know, they, they want to learn more, you know, how to play better. Then they'll, they'll use and sign up on my website or the pro's website for, for we, you know, for uh, lessons and for guidance, you know. And so I, for like if I charge $200 for an hour for $159, I'll touch them four or five times a month. You know, I, mm-hmm. at least I'll give them, a, 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 you know, something to work on each week. I'll give them a monthly checkup. And I even I offer a lot of my beginners a 15-minute phone call, real-time phone call, and I can see their swing as we're doing it. So, yeah, it's, it's a real efficient way for people to learn to play golf. So, and I think the nice thing about the, the grooving, it actually challenges you to get better. So that's always fun. Well, gosh, I, I think I can do better than that. You know, I, I'm going I'm to see if I can mm-hmm. do better this time. But, yeah, <laughs> you, you, it rewards you. It keeps you focused. And, I mean, what, what more can you have? That's the whole thing about golf. And so well, as a teacher, I can see when my students haven't done anything since the last time I saw them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the great things, I, w- I would say the app is so good, like, for instance, I worked with the state uh, champ in Massachusetts, the club champ at Neshotic, who was a female, the, the female club champion, and I worked with five other juniors, and every one of them could use the metronome that's in the app. They could use the, 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 you know, the head tilt and the head motion map. Every one of them could use the putting. And you know what's interesting? Everybody thinks that golf is about hitting golf shots, but half the mm-hmm. game's putting. And nobody is measuring what we do in putting. And therefore, you know, so, so for instance, Dr. Farnsworth is the foremost teacher in putting, right? He's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. loves people coming to spend time with him. And he teaches in France, Italy. He teaches all over the world. And you know what? If he had a young person coming in, organizing all his, his lessons, they would have an amazing program going all over the world, and you could teach every aspect of putting through perfect motion. You could teach them the psychological aspects. You can see their stroke. You can see when they move during the stroke. But there are a lot of people, you know, that are my age and older that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, they're not early adopters. This is new technology. 
So the young the young putting teachers find it like, wow, this is amazing. This is definitely here to stay. So I find it fascinating, you know. So times are changing, and uh, perfect <laughs> motion is is clearly something that uh, you know you have you have to be like an early adopter to to actually want to look at it. You know, some of my friends don't even use the computer. It's like, wow, really? Right. How do you do that? I can tell you three guys that I've played the tour that don't even use computers. So right. <laughs> anyways, it's, it's really fascinating, you know. Well, and I think what's, what's interesting, too, about it, Chip, especially when we look at, you know, our current environment with having to stay home this last year for a lot of folks, not being able to, even though the golf courses, many were open and people could go out and play, um, but time restraints for other reasons, whether they were homeschooling or what have you, what's nice about this particular uh, the perfect motion app is they can actually use it at home or at an office if they're in an office or, you know, other than just at the golf course, they can take it certainly to the yeah. range uh, if they're working out at the range. So it, it, it gives them a lot of flexibility. And again, they're still getting that information. They're still getting, if they choose to have that interaction uh, at some point with, with the coach such as yourself, they can still do that um, without actually having to That's step so out of their true. own home if they don't want to. And and yeah, and again, I, that's right. Right, you know, I mean, think of how many times, you know, as I was alluding to earlier, we see students that will take a lesson, they'll step back, you know, a couple of weeks later, they'll come back for another lesson, and they have done nothing in between, uh, or they've forgotten what we talked about, and you've now got to re-educate them from the last lesson. So you're spending the first fifteen twenty minutes going over the stuff that you went over last time, whereas they've got it on their fingertips in this app that they're getting real-time information back, feedback that they can access anywhere, doesn't matter where they are in the world, um, and they're able to work through the different fixes and so forth, um, again, without actually having to even go back to the golf course uh, if it's not convenient. So time is an issue as well in teaching, and the more efficient we can make it and easier we can make it and more accessible, I think the students have a better time uh, grasping the information we're trying to get across to them and are going to be willing to work at it on their pace and their time. So if they want to improve even more, then they're going to work at it a little bit more. If they're you know, fine with where they are, then that's one thing. But this has been a big deterrent. A lot of people, I don't want to drive 30 minutes to go to the golf course to take another lesson. This alleviates them from having to do that, right? It does. And think about it. The data, like my student, I'm teaching a person in um, – San Antonio, Texas. He's retired. He's 51 years old. And uh, he said, look, I just want to play good enough to play with my wife and my daughter. I don't want to embarrass myself. Mm -hmm. And so I've been teaching him now since January, and he's getting better. And I've given him drills. And what, what's really cool about this is just take it from a teacher's standpoint. If he taught eight hours on the tee, that would wear him out mm -hmm. during the day. Whereas I yep. could probably, I, I've given, you know, five lessons in an hour easily to my, to yep. my students it, because the data is so rich. And so mm -hmm. they're going to make, instead of, they're, they're going to make three or four times what they normally make on the, on the tee box by doing the digital mm -hmm. coaching because it's just, you know, it's, you send them a snippet. You send, I send them like I'll do a, like a minute video to send it to them. And, um, and email it to them, and I'll have it in a, in a reservoir with all my video fixes and ideas that I like to teach my students. 
But then also think about all these fans on, on YouTube and all these uh, teachers like me and my golf that have, what, a million followers? And they know right. nothing about their followers. Whereas if, if they right. could get them to use perfect motion, the data would show them that 90% of your students are over the top in their golf swings. Or mm-hmm. every, you know, 95% of your students you know, change their eye line during their golf stroke, during their putting stroke, or they, they, they back up in their putting stroke, or 95% of your students are in front of the ball at impact. Looks like a reverse pivot, but they're in front of the ball at impact. So you're actually getting real-time data on all these students, and that's the part that when it's a personal lesson and when you, you, you have so many of these followers that just are looking for the next fad or the next piece right. of information – they're, they're trying to sort through it. The computer will sort through it for them. Perfect motion will work really well for those groups of people. So we have Ali Taylor now that has about 30,000 followers, and he's, he's going to really get a lot of benefit from it. And he's at uh, the Marriott in uh, the Belfry up in Birmingham, mm-hmm. England. And uh, can you imagine how many students? This guy is so personable. He's, uh, people follow him. And, you know, he'll get a lot of conversion of people, and he'll know a lot about his audience, more than most people will know. He'll be – and plus he can have contests with them. I have a girl in Raleigh that's competing against me because she thinks there, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a perfect motion performance index, and it's tracked on the, on the, on the app. And that perfect uh, – that PPI, she said, Chip, I'm going to – what's your PPI? I'm going to beat you. I said, let's go. So I mean, right. it's nice. So you can have contests on, on, you know, and challenge your students. So this young girl, she loves golf, and she's wanting to beat me. And I think that's one of the great things. It encourages young people and people to be better. So, you know, it, with, when you have a singular session like that with a focus and a reward, you know, and, and you're picking and trying to eliminate your, most, your biggest faults, there's nothing better than that, you know, and it's an automatic – it automatically graduates you to the next level. You don't have to really do anything. Just take swings, you know, and then see how you can match up and how you're doing. It's really beautiful. So I've enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a great – it's definitely a great app, and I would strongly encourage the listeners to uh, go to the website perfectmotion.io and uh, there's lots of great information on there. And you can actually download uh, – I'm assuming you still can. You can actually download the app for free. Um, and then for $5.99 or $6, you said, uh, per month, then you can get access to some one-on-one personalized remote uh, coaching uh, as well. So there's a lot of great opportunities there, a lot of great information. And um, you know, the nice thing about it, as I said, you, know, you, you don't necessarily have to go to the golf course every time. Uh, to, to utilize this app, you can do it whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, or somewhere else, uh, and then put it in practice. Obviously, when you get out to the golf course, but um, very, very interesting. Yeah, you get two weeks. It's and, always free, which is really cool, yep. you know. And then if you want to upgrade, you can get better service out of it. So, but sure. you get two weeks with full full capacity. So try it. It's it's worth it's worth looking into. Definitely. Again, go to perfectmotion.io is the website, and a lot of good information on there. 
um, walk you through the process, and you've got nothing to lose and plenty to gain. Chip, I want to thank you very much for, for joining me. It's been a pleasure, and I'm going to definitely um, make arrangements to have you come back on another show. I've enjoyed There's so many things that I know that you can share with the, with the audience, and maybe what we'll do uh, the next time, if you're up for it, is maybe get one of the students to come on that's been working with Perfect Motion and talk a little bit about their experience, how they found it, and um, how it's helped them uh, from ground zero, shall we say, to where they are today. Um, would you be up for that? I would be up for it. You know what would be really even more interesting is if you brought somebody on in your office and he'll, he'll take swings and I'll get him, and I'll give him a lesson right online as we're talking. How about that? I th- That'd be really I think cool, we could, wouldn't it? I think we can, arra- I think we can arrange that. that. That sounds Nobody like a good option. Who does that? <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree. We'd have a good time Chip, doing thank that. You for it. I, I agree. I, 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 think that's, uh, I think that's a plan. I think we'll have to put that in motion. Chip, I want to thank you very much. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on the show tonight. Uh, learning a little bit more about you. I watched you for many years, um, you know, play this great game, and it's good to see that you're, you're giving back. Uh, you know, you've had some, some success on tour, and, and you've enjoyed playing the game, but now you're giving back and helping others to uh, achieve their goals and, and their dreams and ambitions out in the golf course, and, and obviously just to get out there and have some fun as well. So I appreciate all that you've done, and uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. We'll, we'll set that up. We'll set that up, and we'll do a, a live uh, a, coaching session if you will using the perfect motion right here on the next time you come on so um chip have a great weekend thank you again for spending time with me tonight and i look forward to our next time here on golf talk live you have a great show ted thank you so much and best of luck thank you very much i appreciate it all right take care all right that was uh chip beck uh, ambassador for perfect motion and uh former pga and champion tour uh, Champions Tour, excuse me, uh, player, and just a very nice guy. Enjoyed uh, our discussion tonight. And again, if you go to perfectmotion.io uh, is the website. You can check it out there. And as I said, you can uh, download the app for free. Uh, there is a 14-day trial uh, where you can get access to everything. And then it's just $5.99 a month. And if you really want to improve your game, it doesn't matter what age you are or if you're a beginner, especially with some of you folks out there that are just starting up uh, golf last year, uh, you know, because of the pandemic and maybe you didn't have a chance to uh, get out there and, and really work on your game, but you've uh, been bitten by the bug as we all have, uh, this might be an option for you to consider, especially if your time is limited and you can't always get out to the golf course and meet with a uh, golf professional face-to-face. Here's another way to end round, if you will, and, and get the job done. All right. I will be back next week with another great panel on the Coach's Corner and uh, another interesting guest uh, to share with you here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great week, uh, uh, weekend, everybody. God bless, and thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.